Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. Can you, can you uh, greet the person beside you? Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> it's now September the 2nd, right? And uh, just, you know, for those, for those uh, church members, our friends who are non-Filipinos, allow us to indulge you by greeting Merry Christmas. You know, Filipinos, uh, in the Philippines, it's September. I mean, this Christmas starts at September, right? So again, Merry Christmas. <laughs> so uh, this is really very exciting uh, season because winter is coming. <laughs> right, so the temperature is now cooling down. Did, did you notice that? Yeah. And uh, we're hope, I'm hoping that really, you know, we're going to get like 10 degrees and lower. <laughs> and so, uh, again, welcome to Every Nation. My name is Gene. Uh, are you excited for today? Yes. Uh, can we ask uh, some, some of you to move forward so at least I don't have to go, you know, go down here in the, in the stairs? <laughs> Alright, so um, we are a global family of churches, every nation, and we are now in 81 nations. Alright, can we give the Lord uh, uh, the praise in 81 nations? Now, we are committed to equipping, empowering, and sending leaders to, uh, uh, to establish new churches, alright? And also to establish campus ministries in every nation. Now, uh, allow me to acknowledge the uh, life group leaders and volunteers. If you are a life group leader, you're leading a one-to-one. -one. Uh, if you are volunteering, can I ask you to please stand up to be recognized? Where are our life group leaders, our uh, volunteers? Can we ask those? Come on. If you're asking, yeah, that, those are our volunteers. Those are our uh, ever-faithful Volunteers, thank you very much, and God bless you for your, you know, for your hard work, for your commitment. And I would also like to thank, uh, take this opportunity to, of course, take, uh, thank the leaders of this church for giving me this uh, privilege to deliver to you the message of God this afternoon, all right, or this morning. So we'll, we'll be starting this morning, and then later on, this afternoon. Uh, I'll, I'll be ending this preaching by afternoon now. So let me introduce myself. My name is Gene. For those of you who are uh, new here, my name is Gene. Um, I am currently the overacting IT manager <laughs> in one of the uh, private universities here in Bahrain. Right? Uh, my wife, yeah, can I see? Yeah, that's our uh, family picture. That's my wife, Rose. She is a regulatory officer. And and what she does is she ensures that drugs uh, are distributed in compliance <laughs> with Bahrain uh, legislation. And, and of course, our little daughter, she's River. Uh, you know, God has blessed us indeed now with a wonderful daughter. She's our River in the desert. She's now turning to this November. And so we thank God for his faithfulness uh, in our family. Now, for those of you who are, uh, you don't know, all right, we have a podcast. How many of you are listening to music and podcast? Yeah, so you'll be listening now. No? Now that we have our 
Every Nation Bahrain podcast. Now we were we're updating it every Friday. Hopefully, every Friday. Now the you'll hear there our Friday messages. So if you missed one of the messages, you can listen to uh, Every Nation podcast. It's available, of course, in uh, Spotify. All right, in uh, of course Apple Podcast. Uh, we, we don't want to forget the uh, Apple users here. We love you. No. <laughs> Uh, of course, also, if you are using Google, Google Podcasts, uh, it's also available there. And in Anchor.fm, so that's every nation-nation-every-nation-bahrain. In fact, our sermons, uh, just, just uh, I wanted to uh, report to you, our sermons are being heard, not just here in Bahrain, no? but it's being heard outside Bahrain, in Saudi Arabia, in the Philippines, in Germany, in Ukraine, the Netherlands, the New, Ze- uh, New Zealand, Pakistan, Canada, and India. Yeah, so let's uh, we'll keep on preaching, and then let let's allow the Spotify, you know, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast to spread God's word. Uh, if you have friends, please, you know, you can invite them to subscribe to our podcast, and you can share it to your uh, Facebook friends as well. Now. We are now in our, uh, we are in an eight-week series. How many of you have been here for the past five weeks now, or four weeks for our, uh, with, the, with this series, Word View? How many of you? Can I, can I have, can I see those hands? Yeah. So uh, we, ha- we are now in our eight-week, uh, we are in an eight-week series about the attributes of God's Word, and of course, our attitude towards God's Word, and uh, just to you know, give you a little information. No, there's uh, word view is not an actual word. Right? If you look at the dictionary, it's not an actual word. Word view, all right. It's actually a play of words on the word world view, right? So there's no word view. There's only world view. Now, uh, what is a world view? All right. What is a world view? Actually, Dr. Kenneth Funk of Oregon State University said, a worldview is the set of beliefs, right? A worldview is the set of beliefs about fundamental aspects of reality that ground and influence all one's perceiving, thinking, knowing, and doing, right? So, in simplest terms, a worldview is an overall view of the world. All right, that's the simplest I can I can uh, give you. It's an overall view of the world. All right. So word view series. So when it comes to uh, how many, uh, there are many aspects of world view. Actually, there are I think six or seven. Now some of the, uh, for example, it's uh, metaphysics, axiology, theology, anthropology. I will not discuss that because it will bore you. <laughs> All right, we're not in a classroom now, but really we're going to talk about the word view, okay? Word view. So we acknowledge, so here in our series, we acknowledge that God's word is the authority. Do you agree with that? That God's word is the authority. Do you submit to the authority of the word of God? So hard to say yes, no? Do you submit to the, the authority of the God's Word? Do you believe that God's Word is authoritative? 
Yes. Then we have to submit, right? And that, of course, God's Word should define our worldview based on it alone. Not on, say, TikTok or Facebook or, you know, Snapchat. So, when it comes to worldview, there are also a word view. There are issues about, say, the origin of life, right? The origin of life and the universe. Now, of course, we will not believe or we, we reject the idea that we humans originate from slime. Because that's not what the Word of God is telling. Or we did not originate from monkeys. We reject that idea. We reject that worldview. For example, uh, another example or another issue is the existence of God. He's not just a force, right? But He's a reality. The nature of man, of course. Uh, for example, uh, another issue is the nature of man. Or relationships. Now, let me speak to the, you know, to the young ladies when it comes to worldview. Do you still agree with Taylor Swift? <laughs> that because we're young and we're reckless, yeah. We'll take this too far, way too far. It will leave you breathless or with a nasty scar. Now, of course, we don't submit to that world, world view. Another issue is the what's morally right and what is morally wrong. For example, when it comes to gender issues, all right, so there's only two gender it's male and female there's nothing more nothing less and of course the reality of sin the reality of evil the reality of death the reality of heaven the man's forgiveness of sin and of course the reality of eternity so all of those issues are you know we're going to talk about not we're not we're going to be talking about today but really they are confounded in the word of god so, of course, as Christians, our views, our beliefs, our convictions should no longer be shaped by the worldview or by the world, but by God's Word. Right? That's very important. Again, let me say that. As Christians, our views, our beliefs, and convictions should no longer be shaped by the world, but by God's Word. All right? Can I tell you a story? Can I tell you a story? We still have like six hours here. <laughs> you know, a pastor had dinner at, uh, at his home. Uh, at the home of a couple in his church. Now, we, ha- we don't have our pastor and his wife with us today. They are in Jerusalem uh, studying. So this pastor, he had dinner with, uh, with a couple in his church. Now, after he left, his wife said to the husband, oh, I think our pastor stole the spoon. <laughs> All right? <laughs> our, I think our pastor, he stole our spoon. This bothered the, the wife for a whole year. Ayan. And <laughs> this really, the, the women, no? they really bother with little things. Peace. Now, a year later, all right, it, a year later, the couple had the pastor again for dinner and, and unable to resist. The wife asked, Pastor, did you steal the spoon last year? 
<laughs> to which the pastor replied, No, I put it inside your Bible. Ah. Did you get that? Can you ask the person beside you, where's the spoon? Huh? Where's the spoon? Are you reading your Bibles? Are you reading your Bibles every day? Is it regular? Uh, regular meaning every day, not every Friday. <laughs> or not every January during our prayer and fasting. Right? So let me encourage you, start reading your Bible. Uh, start reading your Bible today. Don't stop. All right? You, have, you build your foundation in the Word of God. You get someone to read with you. All right? Get someone to read with you because, you know, reading is so much better when you do, when you do it in a community. All right? So I'm already actually ending the service. No? It's already an application. Anyway, uh, of course, here in Every Nation Bahrain, we cannot emphasize more the value of reading and studying you know, and sharing the Word of God. And because, you see, whenever you open up the Scripture, you are already communing with the Lord Jesus. You are communing with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Alright? So, where's the spoon? Hmm. Do you still have the spoon? So, how many of you are excited to uh, study the Word of God today? I'm actually excited but let me just pause a little bit. No? This is actually, before I, I, I start, or already I'm in the middle, this is actually not a simple message to prepare. <laughs> All right? This is not a simple message to prepare. And uh, our preaching team, you know, whenever, whenever, have, whenever we have a, uh, a new series, we, we pray for the new series. We ask the Lord for guidance, and then we assign or we pick the uh, messages in the series, all right? So, um, it's, I felt that this subject is a little bit unfair <laughs> that was assigned to me, and it was too much for me, all right? And, but then I realized that I was actually the one who picked this, this, <laughs> this message. So, uh, somehow it's a self-inflicted pain, <laughs> Anyway, so this message, of course, is, uh, let me just say that this is not only for the seminary students, all right? These are not only for uh, leaders, all right? This is ev for everyone, whether you are a new Christian or a veteran Christian, yeah, or a long-time church attender, you're a leader, this is for, this is for you, right? Now, um, my goal is, just to walk you through the passage, gonna walk you through uh, the scripture, and gonna explain to you in simplest terms. No, in simplest terms, that's that's my uh, my objective, right? In simplest terms, the doctrine of um, canonicity. Yeah, that's the first time you're gonna hear that, and of course, by walking you through and explaining to you the terms. Now, in simplest terms, I hope that the Holy Spirit will enlighten your minds and stir up your hearts in reading the Word of God. All right, so that's my goal today. And uh, with that, may I ask everyone to please stand. We're going to be reading the Word of God in Luke chapter 24. This is a long passage, but uh, for the sake of time, we'll just look at 
verses 25 to 27. This is going to be our uh, focus verse or focus passage. If you're there, let me know. Luke chapter 24, verse 25 to 27. I'll read it in ESV. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it necessary that that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27. And beginning with Moses... And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Lord, we submit, Lord God, our minds and our hearts to you, Lord God, as we look one more attribute of your word. Lord, we pray that any errors that we have believed before, Lord God, will be corrected today. Lord, we ask that you open our eyes, Lord God, to see Jesus in scripture. In your name we pray, amen. You may now be seated. All right, so let's talk about uh, just a review. For the past two weeks, right, we've been talking about the qualities or the attributes of the Scripture. Right? Do you guys remember the attributes of the Scripture? And, and we've talked about, uh, two weeks ago, we've talked about the inspiration of the Scripture. Do you remember? So when we talk about this uh, uh, inspiration of Scripture, we're talking about the origin of Scripture. Where, uh, from whom diba? did our Scripture started? And Second uh, Timothy says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Right? All Scripture is breathed out by God. Meaning, all the words of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, all right, are God's words. All Scripture, or all words of Scripture are God's word. Nothing more, nothing less. All right? And the Holy Spirit supernaturally influenced the human beings or the human writers to write those words or to write their stories, to write the poems, to write the prophecies. So it was the Holy Spirit who influenced the human writers without violating their personalities, their level of intelligence, and their style of writing. Right? That's clear? So all Scripture is inspired. When we say all Scripture is inspired, it does not mean, all right, it does not mean that one passage or chapter or book is more inspired than any other, or than the rest. Okay? I'll say that again. When we say all Scripture is inspired, it does not mean that one passage, say John 3.16, alright? Or chapter, or chap- John chapter 21, for example, or a book, Matthew, is more inspired than any other. Alright? So, just like, you know, when we read and take the Gospel as more important than Habakkuk or Malachi or Micah or Obadiah, you know. Because in the Gospels, you know, the name of Jesus is, uh, is mentioned. So we take that as, you know, more inspired. No, they are all equally inspired, right? They are all equally, equally inspired. So that's the nature. The nature of 
the Word of God, the nature of the Bible is that it's inspired by God. All of the words of Scripture are God's Word. That's origin. The second one is the nature. Last week, Mitch uh, uh, preached about the doctrine of infallibility. Infallibility or inerrancy. Now, these are some technical words, but really the meaning of that means that the Bible is entirely truthful all right, and reliable. That mean, uh, the Bible is entirely truthful and reliable in all that it affirms. Right? In all that it affirms. So the Bible, it means that the Bible is incapable of making mistakes. It cannot fail. Isn't that amazing? That the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation wrote, written by 40 different authors in the span of 1,500 years. In Israel, they have different personalities but they were saying the same thing, and it didn't fail. It doesn't contain any mistakes. Isn't that amazing? Uh, does that encourage you to read your word? Read God's word, sorry. Read your Bible. So because God is the ultimate author, author of the Bible, He is always perfectly truthful. Right? He is always perfectly truthful. Therefore, His word is completely truthful as well. Right? His word is completely truthful as well. Therefore, we say that the word of God is authoritative. Right? The word of God is authoritative. It says there, it is profitable what? for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? So do you want to grow as a Christian? Uh, you read the word. Okay. Do you want to better serve the church community? Study the Word. Okay. Do you want to live in wisdom as follower of Christ? You obey the Word. Right. Do you want your family to believe in Christ as well? You proclaim the Word. Right. So now, today we will be talking about the third quality of the Scripture. Right. Third quality of the Scripture, and that is the scope. Right. Scope. And we're going to be talking about the canon of Scripture, right? The canon of Scripture. Now, note, this is not the canon weapon, right? The canon weapon or the canon brand of camera, right? Canon actually means standard, all right? It's a standard or a rule or a regulation, a norm. Let me say that now again. Canon means standard, right? It's a standard. It's a ruler. It's a ruler. It's a rule. A regulation. For example, right? Star Wars. I can't think of any, any example. <laughs> I can't think of any example than Star Wars. How many of you are Star Wars fans? Ayan. Now, where are my Star Wars fans? Just a few. No, sabi sa Bible. No, not sabi sa Bible. But blessed are the few, for we will have more. <laughs> no, it's actually a you know, when it, when you're gathering for food. No, blessed are the few, we will have more food. Anyway, so for for example, Star Wars. No, Star Wars canon are from episodes one, two, and three, four, five, 
6, 7, 8, 9. Right? So, episodes 1 to 9, and every movie and every TV series in between those episodes, those timelines, is considered canon. Right? Canon. Outside of the storyline, outside of the canon, is considered already what? Fan fiction. Alright, so fan fiction. So outside those stories from episode 1 to episode 9 and everything that is in between, outside of that is fan fiction. It's man-made. Well, of course it's man-made. It's not considered as canon. Alright, so uh, R.C. Sproul said, not about Star Wars, of course. He said, Although the Bible is bound up, in one volume, right, it is not a single book. Rather, it is a collection of 66 individual books, a library of books, right? Since there are so many books that together make up the sacred scriptures, how do we know that the right books have been included in the collection or library of books? That question falls under the issue of canonicity. Right, so today, as we go along, we're going to answer a few questions. For example, why do we have 66 books and not 67? Or not 70? Or not 80? Or not 100? Now, we're going to answer that question. And how do we know that the Bible we have today, all right, how do we know that you, the Bibles that you have today, the 66 books, are exactly what God wants us to have today? How do we know? Have you been asked that question? That's why I'm telling you this is for everyone. Because later you will be asked. Sooner or later, either you will ask yourself or someone will ask you, why do we have 66 books? So how were the books of the Bible selected? right? Or how was the canon formed? What were the criteria or tests? Who determined the books of the canon? And of course, what about, what about the other books? Right? What about the other books that, the, uh, that were not included in the 66 books? Uh, how about that? Let me answer that fourth question now. No? Uh, the books that were not included, they are called deuterocanonical. Deuterocanonical. So meaning, they belong to the second canon. Right? Second canon meaning of second importance. They are not to be equally um, considered as authoritative as those 66. So they are uh, lesser, all right? Most, most of these books are historical in their nature. We have Tobith, we have Judith, we have Bell and the Dragon, <laughs> right? So we have a lot of uh, Maccabees, you know, those books are not included. We call that Apocrypha or the secret books, Apocrypha. So they are not included. So one more meaning of canon. Again, canon is not a canyon, <laughs> all right? but it's a standard. But really, the more important meaning of the canon of Scripture is this. See, the Bible often has been described as norma, Normans et sine normativa. It's Latin, right? Norman Normans et sine normativa. What does that mean? When you look at it, 
you see the form of the word for uh, norm, right? It appears three, three times in that expression. Norma normans means norm of norms, all right? The norm of norms. And sine normativa means without norm. So when we combine that, that means the Bible is the standard of all standards, right? Judge by no other standards. Hmm? Norma normans et sine normativa, the standard of all standards, judged by no other standards, meaning there are no other standards higher than the Word of God. So all the standards are judged by the Word of God. Science, history, there's no other. Uh, there's no other standard higher than the Word of God. Does that excite you? Reading the Word of God, being it the standard of all standards that cannot be uh, judged by other standards. Uh, in, other word, uh, in other Latin terms, it's norma normans non normata, meaning the norm of norms that is not normed. Uh, maybe that's easier. <laughs> norm of norms that is not normed. All right, so let's go to the scripture. Luke chapter 24, verse, uh, I'll start with verse 13 to 35. All right? Naka 30 minutes na pala ako? No. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to, thir- uh, 13 to 35. All right. If you are there, just follow along. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named M.A. So, in order for us to understand this canon, let me just you know, share to you a story. And, and later on, I'll explain to you why, why this story is very important. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. All right? Jesus drew near and went with them. Verse 16, But their eyes were kept from recognizing them. Let's just pause for there. No, they were, their eyes were um, kept from recognizing them. So it says there, that very day, right? That very day. It's the resurrection day. It's the resurrection day. That's Sunday, all right? In verse 1 of chapter 24, it says there, but on the first day of the week, all right? The first day of the week, it's Sunday, Three days after Jesus died on the cross, that's the first day of the week. This is the same day. All right? So this is the most important day of the most important person who ever lived. Right? Therefore, we can say that this is the most important day in history. Right? This is the most important day in history. There are many significant days in history that changed the way people live. For example, in June 6th, 1944, those who, who love history, you know, you'll like this. June 6, 1944, it's the Day of Days, the D-Day. You guys remember that? Or the Normandy landings. This is uh, when the Allied forces invaded Europe, which marked the beginning of the end of the World War II. So June 6, 1944. July 20, 1969, is the landing on the moon. 
right? March, March 12, 1989, Tim Berners-Lee invented the internet. July 1, 1997, that was uh, when the Hong, Kong, uh, Hong Kong was turned over to China from Britain. Feb 4, 2004, Feb, uh, Facebook was founded. July 29, 2007, July 9, 20, 2007. Does that ring something? The Apple iPhone was first released. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have fans there. <laughs> March 11, 2020. And the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 as a pandemic, right? So these are the most some of the most significant days in history that changed the way people live, but really none of them compare to that very day. Right? None of these can compare to that very day. That very day was the turning point of history. You know, I personally believe that this is the most important place to start with if we want to understand the canon of Scripture. Uh, this is the most important place. Why? Because what happened during that day was scientifically, mathematically, historically, statistically undeniable, irrefutable, verifiable, unquestionable, and undeniable, undisputable. Uh, that was the day of days, actually. The resurrection day. And it was well documented. It was well documented. And I can say that it's certified without a shadow of doubt, legit truth. Now, I don't know about your English, but I say that's it. <laughs> that's statistically accurate. Now, it's certified without a doubt, legit truth. The resurrection is the day of days. It was the most authentic day in history. That's why Christ's resurrection, no? you remember? Christ's resurrection is our foundation. That's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ's resurrection is our foundation. That's our starting point, right? So verse 17. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Right? What is this? Uh, you know, I really like what Jesus, how Jesus starts a conversa conversation. He usually starts with a question. Uh, not because he doesn't know or he's curious. He just wants to know. Uh, he's just leading the conversation somewhere. Uh, later on, we'll see where is uh, he leading. Verse 18 Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas, now one of the, uh, the comments here that Cleopas, all right, he was the older, or he's, uh, he's the man there. Uh, these two disciples, they were either two men, although it's more accurate that they were probably man and woman or husband and wife. Right? So are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know? Like, Everyone in Jerusalem knew what happened three days ago, right? Everyone, you know, massive number of people who came from the, uh, for the Feast of Passover, they witnessed the public trial of Jesus, right? Or we can say the public mistrial of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. These same people, they saw Jesus paraded by the Roman guards, 
They saw him beaten. They saw him nailed to the cross between two thieves. Now, they were also there when the darkness fell for three hours. Right? They were there when the earth shook and the rock split. They were there when Jesus shouted, It is finished. They were there. Now, so news can spread quickly even during the time, even when there was no social media. News can spread quickly. So they were asking Jesus, Are you the only one who doesn't know this? Right? Are you the only one? So verse 19, Jesus responded, What things? Right? What things? What things? So the, you'll no, will notice that the two disciples answered in two parts. Right? Here's the first part. Verse 19, And they said to him, first part, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, all right, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. All right? Concerning Jesus, mighty indeed, and how our, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. All right? Verse 20. So, did you notice the answer of Cleopas? He identified Jesus being from Nazareth. Right? He identified Jesus as being Nazareth. Now remember what Philip in John chapter 1 verse 46 says. Can anyone or can anything good come out of Nazareth? No? Philip was asking no? or was telling, can anyone come out of Nazareth? You remember? It was as if you're asking, are there any good parkings in Manama? Do we have? Or are there any good burgers in McDonald's today? No. <laughs> it's controversial. <laughs> all right. So what Cleopas, all right, what Cleopas and Luke was recording, they were saying, he was saying that this man is the one and only Jesus. Right? This is the only one and only Jesus from Nazareth. It's him. It's him. It's Jesus of Nazareth. All right? So this is a fact, a certainty. All right? He says there, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all people. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 11, no? during the triumphal entry, entry of Jesus to Jerusalem, the people were shouting. What were they shouting? This is what? The prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Right? So everyone knows who Jesus is from Nazareth and he is a prophet. Because everyone knows. And then, let's continue. How our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to condemn to death and crucified him. So prominent leaders, prominent leaders, they are known. They are named like the Sanhedrin, right? The, the Sanhedrin. They, are, they ordered capital punishment by means of crucifixion to this Jerusalem pop star, right? So that's what happened. And here's a personal comment from Cleopas, verse 21. But we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. We had hoped. No? It's past tense. 
we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You know, he was essentially saying the one who was to save us from Roman rule is now three days dead. The one who was to save us from Roman rule is three days dead. So here's the second part, which is actually more astounding. Verse 22 to 24. Moreover, some, of, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. All right? Some women. Some women. It's not individual. It's what? Multiple witnesses. When you say multiple witnesses, you have a stronger case. You can't deny when there are two or three witnesses. Right? And it's not just two or three witnesses. In verse 1 to 12, says, These are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women. These are multiple witnesses seeing the same thing. There's an empty tomb. And they did not, what? Find his body. The tomb was empty. They had, been, they had even seen an, a vision of angels who said that he was alive. He was alive. The guy who died three days ago, whom we are sure that he's dead because he was crucified, right? No one survives a crucifixion. He's dead. And now they were saying he's alive. That's amazing, right? That's amazing. And there's another confirmation. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found just as the woman had said. There was confirmation with what the women was telling. Peter went there. John went there. They, you know, they had track and field. <laughs> they ran. So verse 25, all right? Verse 25. And he said to them, this is now Jesus, he responded, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Uh, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did you notice the progress in the conversation? Did you notice? Now, Jesus was implying that somehow the disciples thought that they hit a dead end. Uh, they hit a dead end in understanding what's happening, uh, particularly in the plan of God's redemption, uh, God's plan of redemption. Uh, there was death. Uh, somehow, the situation blurred their vision regarding what's happening or regarding what's God's general plan of salvation for their, uh, for their people. And you know, sometimes we're on the similar spot like the disciples. Yeah? Sometimes, we're on the similar spot. We think that our current situations put us in a dead end when it comes to understanding God's word. Now, when things are not going our way, or we want, the, or we're not, it's not going the way we want them to be. We find hard to, we find we find the word of God hard to believe. Right? We find it hard to believe what it's teaching, what it's saying. When things are out of control or something, something unnatural is happening, our vision of the truth of God becomes blurry when in fact the Lord intends it to be the opposite. Right? It intends, he intends it to be the opposite. Verse 26. 
Was it necessary, uh, this is Jesus again, was it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? You know, it was God's intention for Christ to suffer, to be crucified and to rise again. It was God's intention. It was all part of the plan. It was not a dead end. In fact, it was an entry point. Okay? It was an entry point. Christ's resurrection is the key to understanding all of Scripture. Right? So, I'm just finished with our introduction. <laughs> Christ's resurrection is the key to understanding all of the Scripture. It is the key actually to understand the canon of Scripture. Right? It is our starting point. The resurrection is our starting point. So now, I hope that I have established you know, the, the resurrection as a factual truth or, at, or a historical truth. And what's the implication of this? You see, everything that Jesus said was true. Right? If this historical event really happened, then that means whatever Jesus is saying is true. Right? Because it happened to a person and he said it. And that means everything that he said is true. Everything, everything that he claimed about himself is true. And everything he claimed about the, the scripture is what? Is truth as well. We're not trapped in a circular argument like, okay, because the Bible was telling it's the word of God because the Bible is telling it's the word of God. We're not trapped in that. It's actually a linear argument because Jesus is our starting point from the historical point of view. Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Tanakh. Alright, so the Hebrew Bible, Tanakh, is actually TNK, alright? So he was, tell, he was sharing or he was telling the, the two disciples, the, the Moses and the prophets, the, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. So the, the, the Torah is the five books of Moses, the Nevi'im is the prophets, the Ketuvim is the writing. So the arrangement in the, actually, the arrangement of the Old Testament uh, in the Hebrew Bible is from Genesis to Chronicles. Genesis to Chronicles, not Genesis to Malachi as in our English Bibles. And Jesus often refers to the, he uh, the scriptures or the Hebrew Bible in his teaching and he affirms that the, all the Old Testament books, all right, the same way we have now our canon. He was, he himself, he was telling that all from all the books from Genesis to Malachi or Genesis to Chronicles are canon. So meaning, it's true. This is the truth. For example, in Luke chapter 11, he was rebuking the Pharisees. He was telling, from the blood of Abel, all right, to the blood of Zechariah, who perished, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. So when he said, the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, he was telling... It's from Genesis to Malachi. Why? Who was the first person to be killed in the Old Testament? It's Abel. 
who was the last person to be killed in the Old Testament. It was the prophet Zechariah. It was recorded in Chronicles. So he was telling that Genesis to Malachi, they're all canon. He was affirming that the canon of Scripture is from Genesis to Malachi. <laughs> or Chronicles. Right? So, well, although there was no record of how Jesus explained to, this, to the two disciples that all the Scripture is about Him, you know, I'd like to think He said it this way. All right? He said it, In Genesis, I am the Word of God, creating the heavens and the earth. In Exodus, I am the Passover lamb that was slain. In Leviticus, I am the high priest. In Numbers, I am the ever-present guide, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of night by, by fire, of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, I am the prophet greater than Moses. In Joshua, I am the captain of our salvation, the conquering warrior leading his people into the promised land. In Judges, I am the judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth, I am the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, I am the prophet of the Lord. In First and Second Kings, I am the righteous ruler. In First and Second Chronicles, I am the glorious temple, the restorer of the kingdom. In Ezra, I am the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, I am the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther. I am the advocate, risking his life to restore us to royalty. In Job, I am the redeemer who lives. In Psalms, I am the good shepherd, the one who hears your cries. In Proverbs, I am the wisdom personified. In Ecclesiastes, I am the meaning of life. In Song of Songs, I am the lover of your souls. In Isaiah, I am the wonderful counselor. The mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, wounded for your transgression and bruised for your iniquities. In Jeremiah, I am the rejected messenger of the Lord. In Lamentations, I was the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, I was the river of life bringing healing to the nations. In Daniel, I am the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, I am the faithful husband. Pursuing the unfaithful bride. In Joel, I am the spirit and the fire. In Amos, I am the burden bearer. In Obadiah, I am the judge of all the earth. In Jonah, I am the merciful and forgiving God. In Micah, I am the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, I am the avenger of God's people. In Habakkuk, I am the reason to rejoice even when your fields are empty. In Zephaniah, I am the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Haggai, I am the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, I am the pierced son whom every eye on the earth will one day behold. In Malachi, I am the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. Do you want me to continue? In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the miracle worker. In Luke, he says, I am the Son of Man. In John, I am the Word made flesh, the Son of God. In Acts, I am the Christ, the risen Lord, the Savior of the world. In Romans, I am the justifier of sinners. In 1 Corinthians, I am the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, I am our, He is our comfort. In Galatians, He is our Redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, He is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is the God who supplies all our needs. In First and Second Thessalonians, He is our coming King. 
In First and Second Timothy, he is the mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is the faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, I am the life at work in your faith. In First and Second Peter, I am the chief. Shepherd, in 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, I am the everlasting love. In Jude, I am the foundation of your faith. In Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, the Bible is not about us. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. See, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Him. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, again, is the key. He's the door to understanding all of Scripture. He is not just our goal. He is also our entry point. So if you want to understand what the Bible is all about, right, you look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm about to end here now. Almost. Right? It's actually so good. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30. When he was, about, he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Right? And he vanished from their sight. Let me just ask one of our leaders to say this. Uh, Dr. Nixon now says, Isn't it amazing? Or isn't it interesting that Jesus was recognized not in the place of inquiry, but in the place of intimacy? He broke bread. And the disciples recognize Him. You see, when you read your Bible, you're communing with the Lord. You're communing with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's you and Him. So, you know, let's not take for granted our time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not take for granted the, 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 the Bible. In verse 32, it says there, Did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road? While He opened to us the Scriptures? Are your heart, did your hearts burn when I read all the names of Jesus in the, the Scripture? You know, there was a burning in the heart in everyone who opens the Scripture and communes with the Lord through His Word. So let's conclude now. Because I haven't answered the question, right? So how was the canon of Scripture formed? What were the criteria and who determined the books of the canon? I think we all know already who did and how it was. Let me start by saying the canon was not an invention by the church, nor was it was an idea that originated from the apostles. It was not an invention. So how? How was the canon formed and how, who determined it? We know who, the, who did. It's God the Father through the testimony of the Son in the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. Right? 
It's God the Father through the testimony of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. So the canon was spiritually discerned, just like what we did. Our burning, our hearts were burning when we saw, oh, this is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It was rather, I mean, rather than being categorically determined by the church. So what about the criteria or the tests? Actually, it was a test. Not The, the, the church did not determine it. They only tested it. They only discerned it. And what are the attributes? It's beauty and excellence. Now, these are the divine qualities. It's beauty and excellence. You see, whenever you open the Word of God, you are amazed, right? You, it's amazing. Power and efficacy. No, power and efficacy. When you read the Bible, you will never be the same again. And third, unity and harmony. There are no contradictions. So God not only superintended the writing of the scripture, the inspiration, but He also superintended the collection, the canon, and of course the preservation of all 66 books of the Bible. It was all God's doing. So what's our practical application then? Wayne Grudem says, to add or subtract from God's word would be to prevent God's people from obeying Him fully. For commands that were subtracted would not be known to the people. And words that were added might require extra things of the people which God had not commanded. So the scripture, let's remember this, and this is your takeaway. The canon of scripture was determined by God and was later discerned by His people. It was all God's doing. And therefore, what? We can trust the Bible. Can I ask everyone to please stand? Let's pray. Lord, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Lord, we pray that you will cause our hearts to burn within us every time, Lord God, we hear, we read and study your word. That's our prayer, Lord God. And Lord, as you draw near to us, Lord, just like what you did in Emmaus, draw us near to you, Lord. Let us see Jesus in all scripture. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me bless you before you go. May, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. I pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everyone. We're now dismissed. God bless you.